Hey, everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, December 8th, 2013. After the maternity twist that rocked the entire state of Wisconsin. <laughs> Nikki decides to give her buddy Paul a phone call to give him, you know, an update on how the big reveal went. Um, yes, it did not go as planned. <laughs> um, I, it, it was a little bit more tense than I expected. <laughs> yeah, you think? She's on the phone with Paul, and Victor walks in, and he overhears her saying this. She's pretty much recapping how grateful she is that Paul helped her through this, and, and, and showing her hand that Paul knew about everything, and uh, Victor's not happy about it. It's one thing that Nikki kept this secret from him. It's another to think that, oh, she was confiding in someone, and it was another man. I, as soon as Paul uh, even came into the conversation, I thought, oh, I, I mean, you know, Paul's going to be getting a visit from the black coat. <laughs> Victor is about to rip him a new one. Uh, Victor, after she gets off the phone, confronts her about all of this. And his point is... If you're going to seek help from somebody, why not me? I have the same resources as Paul have has, if not more resources. So why would you choose to lean on him and not lean on me, your husband? And let's not forget, it wasn't that long ago that you two were involved. You almost married the man. So it feels to Victor like... A betrayal on top of a, of, a, of a betrayal. I think Victor feels like all of this that has happened is now amounting to one big monumental lie. It's just all of a lie. And, you know, I guess I am trying to see Victor's point of view. I can see how he would feel that way. She did keep this from him intentionally. And to know that your spouse did that, ugh, I think that he, Victor has a valid reason for feeling the way he does. And he lets her know that he's not happy about it, of course, until it wasn't really until Nikki brought up kind of the real reason that she didn't want to tell Victor, which was because of what happened to him as a child. She says, I didn't want to tell you that I abandoned a child because of what happened to you. Thinking about you being left at that orphanage and your mother never coming back for you breaks my heart every time I think about it. And I didn't want you to see me in that same way that you saw your mother. And I mean, I have to admit that Think, for me to think about Victor being this poor little child at this orphanage, it's a sad scene. It's a sad idea. At least what Nikki had done was given the child to uh, a uh, a church, but she didn't know what had what would end up happening. She didn't know that Dylan was going to go to a happy family and that he was going to grow up to be a decent human being. The story could have been completely different. So it. it 
I think the comparison possibly could be made, and she didn't want to look like Victor's mother in Victor's eyes. And as soon as she brought that that point up, I don't think Victor had considered it that way before. That point seemed to mellow him out a little bit, at least. Um, well, until there was a knock on the door. <laughs> then the mellowness went away because it was Paul. Paul had received Nikki's message, hadn't heard back from her, so he wanted to stop by and check in on her, and immediately the tension in the room is palatable. Victor feels like this man has come into his wife's life and has been a confidant in a way that he should have been. And so it was very awkward in the room. Paul tries to defend himself, tries to defend Nikki, but the fact that... They kept not only the secret from Victor, uh, but all of these little trips that they took to, uh, they were staying in the hotel room together alone. Um, The fact that they kept these little trips a secret does not look good, not to Victor, and also, I think we're going to find out next week, not so much to Paul's new wife, Christine, either. Until the DNA results come in on Dylan and Nikki's maternity test, the air in Genoa City is is very thick and very uncertain, especially around Dylan. I'm hoping that they, I'm, I'm assuming that they paid like the rush fee to get that DNA test done really quick. I don't know how quickly DNA tests typically take, but uh, <laughs> let's use those human resources to make sure we get that thing ASAP. Ugh. Dylan is at the athletic club toward the beginning of the week trying to work out some of his frustration. He's got his boxing gloves on and he's going at that heavy bag, probably pretending that it's Nick's face. And then, of course, Nick shows up at the gym and there is tension between them. I think... Look, Dylan, it might be time to switch gyms. <laughs> you know you're going to run into the Newmans at the Genoa City Athletic Club. Isn't there a YMCA that you can frequent? Maybe a little more private. <laughs> but no, no, no. There is a confrontation between Nick and Dylan again. And Nick, at first, they were actually going about their own separate ways. Dylan was going at the heavy bag. Nick's sitting, lifting some weights. And you think, okay, well, maybe they can just... What am I even thinking? Whatever. They're not going to just let anything go. Nick has to confront Dylan. I think Dylan would have been fine to go about his business, but Nick is such a confronter. (laughs) He goes right up to Dylan and starts getting up in his face. And at first, it kind of sounds like (laughs) Nick wants to, like, draw lines through the town of Genoa City and say, all right, you can't cross north of this street (laughs) so that we can just avoid each other as much as possible. But surprisingly, the conversation took a little bit of a a positive turn, I guess. Nick uh, tries to present some of Nikki's side of the situation to Dylan. He says, 
If my mother is saying that this is true, trust me, it's true. You don't really know what type of woman that she is because you haven't been around her that much, but she is not lying. That's not who Nikki Newman is. And it almost seemed like Nick was trying to smooth the waters a little bit just to sort of get Dylan to at least not hate her, not focus all of his frustration on her. Uh, Nick, uh, Nick had kind of made the point that, you know, I also don't want this feud of ours to hurt my mother, our mother, any more than she's already hurting. Can you agree to that? He flat out asks Dylan, can we just please agree to not hurt her any more than necessary? And Dylan just, he does not know how to process any of this. I think he's in full-on anger and denial mode, and he really just walks away from Nick. He doesn't want to have anything to do with him. He doesn't know how he He's going to handle uh, if any of this if the results turn out to be that Nikki is his mother. It means now he's going to have to deal with her. It means he's going to have to deal with the fact that his own mother lied to him and to his uh, father that he's known all his life. So it's a pretty big burden for Dylan to have to carry. And he's going through this whole identity crisis. Like, he does not know who he is now. And so he seems to be clinging to the one thing that he actually does know, the one thing that has kind of been a constant uh, throughout the latter part of his life, which is Avery. So he heads out to the park, and she's there too, and she's trying to help him through this process, but there's also the issue of their feelings for each other, and there's this point where Dylan's so tired of talking about the Nikki situation, I think, that he breaks down, and he just kind of moves in for a kiss with her. Dylan and Avery share this very passionate kiss at the park and it was very different from anything we've really seen with them before this kiss was very reciprocal she was kissing back this time there was another time where he kissed her recently and she was she was not sure about it she didn't want to really give in but this time she really gave into it I mean she kind of grabbed the back of his head and really went in for that big smooch but then she pulls away it doesn't she let herself only for a moment enjoy it and then she pulls away and she she I don't know, she just kind of reams him a little bit. It was sort of cute, the way Avery was saying, you know, I'm I'm not going to let you use this me as a distraction, you know. You, you have this major life crisis going on right now, and I don't want to be, um, like, I guess she was just afraid that he's trying to drown out the uncomfortable feelings that he has regarding the Nikki situation for comfortable feelings that he knows and that he has with Avery. And she doesn't want to be a part of that, but there is still a love there. She turns around and says, I do love you. So that's a big deal. That's something that I think she's been fighting saying to him since the moment that he came into town. Um... Of course, it was not that long ago that she was declaring her feelings of love for Nick. I mean, what, maybe two months ago? She was totally in love with Nick, but it was all denial. I guess her feelings 
for Dylan, she actually ends up bumping into Nick at the park. They were both on a run or a jog, <laughs> and they always bump into each other at Chancellor Park, right in that same spot. It's the central location. I, and just on a side note, YNR, you cannot do this park thing all winter. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm in the Midwest. We don't go to the park in the winter. <laughs> you're going to have to find a new set, bust out the Chancellor Park again from a different angle, please, in the spring. But for now, you're just going to have to, like, break down that set, okay? Just so you know, it's coming, YNR. <laughs> so anyway... Avery's there with Nick, and it's weird now because she still, I think, does have feelings for Nick, and he still has feelings for her, and she is concerned about how he's doing. She's right caught up in the middle of this Newman family drama, and she wants to check in with Nick, make sure he's okay, too, but he just says, I can't let you do that. I can't talk about this with you. I can't pretend that everything that's happened with us never happened, so please don't ask me to. Um, it, it was, um, I don't know, it was actually kind of turned, it, it was weird, but then it sort of turned a little bit more tender because they shifted the scope of the conversation and ended up talking about the situation a little bit philosophically. Nick had mentioned that maybe all of this has happened between him, his relationship with Avery, Dylan come back into town. Maybe all of that was some kind of karma, which I thought was such a great, great point. Um, he said, essentially, our relationship started, well, inappropriately, really, considering he was married to Avery's sister, Phyllis. Uh, and now the man that that Avery loves may turn out to be Nick's brother. Maybe that was some sort of karma coming back on him. What a great point. What a total possibility. Avery says, no, you know, it's probably not that. It's probably not karma. Let's not believe that. But I thought, well, maybe, maybe. Uh, Dylan ends up walking in on their conversation, of course, more tension, yada, yada. Things start to come to a boil when Dylan receives a phone call to his cell phone. It's the DNA lab. The results are in. He takes the phone call right there in front of Avery and Nick and learns the truth. Nikki was right. It's a boy. A little bit earlier in the week, Dylan, uh, before he had the confrontation with Nick at the athletic club, he was there at the punching bag and Sharon strolls in and she starts to ask him a little bit about how he's feeling and he does confide in her a little bit. He says he feels like he's been sucker punched. Like all of this just came out of nowhere. It caught him when he was least expecting it and it's taken the breath out of him. I mean, he, he really summed that up pretty well as to what he's feeling, sucker punched. And Sharon kind of sat down, talked to him a little bit and reminded him of the one positive relationship that Dylan has with the Newman family. And that's 
Faith. Faith loves Dylan. Nick wanted to keep Dylan out of her life when he was just some guy, but now he's Faith's uncle, and that gives them a reason to bond together. And I just really felt that... It felt like progress for Sharon that she's encouraging that relationship between Faith and Dylan when we all know Nick would not want it. I'm sure that as soon as Nick finds out Dylan's spending time with Faith, brother or not brother, Nick's not going to be happy about it. So I was glad to see Sharon reaching out to Dylan and helping him in that way, making him realize that, you know, and pretty much inviting him into Faith's life. I wonder wonder if there could be a Dylan Sharon Avery triangle now. I don't know, because Dylan's probably going to be hanging around Faith more. Um, but I, but just in a larger scale, I liked that Sharon was no longer trying to use Faith to manipulate Nick. That no longer seems like it's part of her uh, headspace, and that makes me happy. I was getting pretty darn tired of that whole thing. Um, Let's see. Sharon at the athletic club, after she sees Dylan, she goes out into the dining room and Nick and Summer are there talking, bonding. Uh, You know, Summer's still talking about how the weirdness of her new life, how it's affected her. Nick still feels very guilty about all of this, but misses his daughter. It's clear that Summer and Nick miss each other, need each other. Summer's other parent is lying in a coma, and she's trying to forge this relationship with a man who's actually not her father. It it just drives me nuts. Sharon kind of oversees uh, them talking, and I think she probably wanted to duck out. Like, get out of Dodge. She is. She feels so guilty about what she's done, switching these paternity test results. And But Nick and Summer sort of reel her in and like, hey, come talk to us, Sharon. And uh, Sharon, uh, I just wish this lie wasn't there. It's the one thing. I, I feel like I could totally get back into connection with Sharon if it weren't for the stupid paternity test lie. I hate that it ever happened in the first place because if we wiped that off the slate, Sharon is being pretty awesome right now. She has Summer, she invites Summer over to come spend some sister time with Faith, and which is just, again, actually Sharon trying to build up the family, not tear it down or divert it in some weird, twisted direction. Summer comes over uh, to the house, and Faith ends up having a play date or something, but Sharon and uh, Summer sit down, and they start having a nice little talk. Summer really, I think, is reaching out to Sharon, missing that strong female role model in her life. We haven't really seen uh, Summer reaching out to Avery very much. You would think if that's Phyllis's sister, she would really want to be spending time with Avery as a connection to her mom. But no, it's Summer. It's uh, Sharon. And Summer seems to just really be reaching out to Sharon, talking about how much she misses her mom. And I don't know how Sharon can sit there in that conversation and not need to make amends for this. Even if she doesn't confess to what she did with the paternity, maybe there's some way she can set up some sort of third party (laughs) or, I don't know, drop an anonymous note or something. But to leave it go unresolved is the most horrible of all. Summer is obviously totally wrecked and Sharon could change it in an instant if she decided to. There's, um... 
this moment where they're sitting on the couch together and Summer's just so sad uh, that Sharon kind of goes in and hugs her and says, I'm so sorry. And we know it's not just a friendly gesture, not just trying to placate her or say, sorry for what you're going through. We know what Sharon really means. She's sorry for what she's done to Summer. Every ounce of pain that Summer is feeling right now is because of Sharon, not only because of the paternity test results, but because Sharon was involved with the fight, the struggle on the stairs that put her mother into a coma. So Sharon has a lot to be sorry for. Uh, I just wish all of that would not have happened. Mm, I can't say it enough. <sighs> While Summer's there, there's a ding-dong at the doorbell, and Neil ends up uh, at the door showing up to see Sharon. And he, just as Summer's like, you know, I'll let you guys have your time alone, Summer walking out the door, Neil tells Summer that that photographer at that horrible photo shoot has been fired, so rest assured, Summer's very happy to hear that, her job will get a little bit easier. But then, they close the door, Neil goes in to talk to Sharon, and he's there to offer her a job as a model mentor, basically, someone to probably go on site with their models and make sure that they're being taken care of, basically a representative for the models, rather than just letting them be lambs to the slaughter, someone to coach them on what they can to do and oversee uh, some of uh, some of the photo shoots. So I thought that was wonderful. Gosh, Sharon, welcome back to Jabot. I think that's really great. A great way to get her back into the mix. It's so funny because I got a voicemail early in the week from Patricia. I mean, it had to be Sunday or Monday. And she totally predicted that that's where all this was going, that Sharon was going to get that job at Jabot. And I'm like, wow, you must be psychic, Patricia, because I didn't even see that coming. But I'm happy now that it's here. At the Abbott Thanksgiving meal, Ashley does some crazy acrobatic trick and ends up hurting her ankle. And so Abby takes her to the emergency room where Stitch is on duty. Oh! <laughs> Ashley and Stitch... Did you guys hear my head explode that day? I mean, I was ready to jump out of my seat. Perfect couple. Hello, Ashley and Stitch. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I can't say yes emphatically enough. That would be amazing. Ashley's there in the little examination room, <laughs> and Stitch is looking at her ankle, and they're totally flirting. <laughs> he was totally impressed by the fact that she was the lead chemist at Jabot, which I miss. I think Ashley needs to get back into the lab. Mm, yes. Um, and, you know, she's impressed by the fact that he's a doctor. And naturally, Abby is there the whole time 
completely leading them in the direction of hooking up. I mean, she's clearly trying to set them up. And there's this moment after Stitch leaves the room, Ashley's totally embarrassed by the fact that her daughter's trying to set her up with this doctor <laughs> under this weird circumstance. And Ashley just, you know, after Stitch leaves the room, Ashley's like, Abby, he's married. <laughs> he's got a wedding ring on his finger. I mean, that is true. Setting him up. That is rude, really. It is. Hitting on a guy with a wedding ring is wrong. Maybe he had it off, though. I didn't notice. I mean, maybe she couldn't see through the gloves or something. I don't know. I don't care if they're married. I don't care. Stitch is obviously having problems in his marriage. I don't care about Stitch's imaginary wife that's off screen. In reality, yes, obviously, it's wrong to hit on a married man. Clearly, clearly, yes. But in the context of this show, <laughs> I don't care about, I have no allegiance whatsoever to Stitch's wife and kids who we've never seen, never heard anything about, whatever. Dump them, YNR, who gives a crap? Why would they bring on a cell punk and have him just be married to no one on the on the scene right now. Forget about those guys. Bring, let him have a divorce, whatever. <laughs> Bring him into the scene. Bring Ashley back in there. It's dynamite. I'm feeling it. <laughs> and, okay, okay. So I actually got a really good voicemail from Gary this week, and he mentioned that his first instinct when seeing the Ashley and Stitch uh, union, <laughs> we shall say, teaser, uh, was that maybe there was something about them that seemed like they knew each other from somewhere. And I think it kind of got played off, but th I think that's a very, very good possibility. Is there any chance that somewhere, somehow, Ashley and Stitch knew each other, maybe had an affair, didn't want to talk about it in front of Abby, but there was like some kind of instant connection there. It was immediately like, bam, electricity in the room. So I'm just wondering if there could be a little backstory there. YNR's got to be testing these waters and I am giving it like a huge thumbs up. Please, 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 please. I love Ashley. I would like to explore more of Stitch. Um... <laughs> Or, like, I just think Stitch is kind of getting in a box with the whole Dylan thing. I, just, I feel like Stitch, uh, in my mind, I like to call him the guy that should have been Nikki's son. Okay, behind the scenes soap gossip, I guess, um, or truth, I don't know, is, okay, you guys, I had no idea that the guy that plays Noah and the on YNR and the girl that plays Caroline on Bold and the Beautiful are together in real life. I had no clue about that. Did you guys know that? And apparently they're expecting their first child. I, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think they're married or anything, but I don't, when did it happen that they were even dating? <laughs> Why didn't I hear about this? I mean, I do check up on some of the soap sites. I try to stay somewhat informed, and I never heard anybody mention that. I'm just, I don't know, wherever it is, I'm apparently out of the loop. I mean, I'm not going to follow every single actor on the show's Twitter feed or whatever. I can't be that involved. 
and spend two hours a week doing a YNR vlog. So, I mean, come on. But someone should be presenting me with this information. I'm looking at you, CBS Soaps in Depth. Why? Why did I not know this? But, I mean, wow, I really like both of the actors, so that's kind of interesting. I had no clue. Um, okay, anyway. At Newman Enterprises, and specifically with the Newman Chancellor Lifestyles Division, Noah versus Kyle in Victor's office pitching advertising ideas, how they're really going to take this lifestyles division to the next level. Noah gets up and he does a pitch that's pretty average. I mean, they're all good, probably tried and true ideas. But then uh, Kyle stands up and he gives his pitch that's all about, wow, bang, zazz, zoom, vodka. This is Kyle's big idea for Newman Lifestyles is Newman Vodka. Awesome, I guess. I mean, I, I, I think, like, storyline-wise, I think it would be kind of fun to see that through to the end. Uh, maybe seeing them go through development on this vodka product. Maybe throwing some parties to launch the product. I like business storylines. This could be something interesting. Um, let's please run with this and not drop it, YNR. But anyway, um, it's basically Kyle's vodka idea trumps all of Noah's tried and true advertising ideas and Victor just declares Kyle wins okay you guys both gave me your pitch Kyle wins of course liquor always wins <laughs> naturally he was gonna win with liquor um, but, okay, uh, Nick is, er, Nick, Noah is, I'm getting old, you guys, I, I, more and more I have trouble, like, remembering everybody's names, Ugh, I, if I'm doing this in 10, 20 years, it's gonna be harder to follow, <laughs> I'm gonna be calling people by different names a lot, it's a curse in my family, the women in my family do it, we, like, forget names, Uh it's, I'm turning into my mother, <laughs> so Noah's upset, that he didn't win the pitch. But my question is, why would Victor even be listening to major pitches from entry-level executives anyway? He probably has a whole team of people for this. Isn't Victoria the head of the lifestyles division? Wouldn't, shouldn't she have been there for these pitches? Whatever. It was a total ploy by Victor to give Kyle power and then watch him burn before Jack's very eyes. That's the deepest, most sincere hope of Victor Newman, I think, at this point in the game. After he leaves the office, Noah and Kyle are there alone, and Noah is saying, you know, you, he only picked your pitch because you're Jackson. They're going back and forth. They're, uh, they're just ready to burst into a fight, and Victor's outside. He's, ugh, ugh. This is his grandson, his family, and Victor's outside of the door listening to Kyle and Noah fighting it out. Victor's getting exactly what he wanted. He did this to them on purpose, and then he comes back in the room and has to pretty much break up their fight. But not only that, 
Victor chastises Noah in front of Kyle, acting like Noah is being a sore loser, which maybe he was. It wasn't professional for Noah to take it personally that his pitch didn't win. 100% not professional. But he should have, Victor should have let Kyle leave the room. The appropriate thing to do would have been to take Noah aside privately and say, you know, son, you're new to this. Let me give you some tips. Let me tell you, um, you know, this is just business. You can't take it personally. It's not Victor trying to be a mentor. It's Victor trying to stir up the pot. And he drags Noah down a couple of notches in front of Kyle. It's like he's trying to lift, lift Kyle up and drag, drag Noah down. And that, it bugs me. It really bugs me. This is how you treat your family? I mean, believe this is not new. <laughs> this is not new behavior for Victor Newman. Um whatever. He, um, ha he really, it's not just that he got down on Noah. He did talk to both of them saying, you know, he's been in the, in that, in their position when he was a younger man and he's not going to let it happen to them again. It's all lip service because he's exactly trying to let it all happen again. Victor's fueling this new generation, uh, feud, which I love. I mean, you know, I'm complaining about it, but I love the idea of more feuds, more new business feuds. That's the foundation of when I started watching the show. And so I love those kind of storylines. So if it's now going to be Noah versus Kyle in a battle royale, where do you guys fall on the topic? Um, I had to laugh because Patricia mentioned in her voicemail that she hopes Kyle mops the floor with Noah. <laughs> And I want to know where everybody else stands on this. Kyle versus Noah, who is going to come up? Who are you rooting for, essentially? I put a, a new poll up on my website at yrchat.com. If you just go to that main page, yrchat.com, look on the right-hand side. I put a little poll there. Noah versus Kyle. Where do you fall? I'm really curious to know how everybody is aligning themselves on this. Or maybe you don't care. I don't know. I love a good feud, though. We'll see. Maybe it could heat up. It could get good. Um, Ashley ends up going to visit Victor just before she leaves town, which I, of course, enjoyed. She sees exactly what's going on. That's one of the things I love about Ashley. She sees right through the crap. She has been around this block. She has seen the Victor and Jack feud uh, many, 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 many years, many times, and she's she doesn't pull punches with Victor. She gives him kind of, actually, this ominous warning saying, you know, I see what you're doing, basically, with Kyle. And I understand that it's about getting back at Jack. I've seen all of this before. But the difference is now, Victor, you are not young men. And it almost kind of hearkened back to uh, Victor's own speech to Noah saying, you know, that he he was in your position when he was a younger man and he's not going to let it happen. But Ashley warns Victor, and again, a very ominous way, if you continue to go at it with my brother like this, you may not survive this time. You or one of you might not survive this time. That has to be foreshadowing. Somehow this has got to lead to somebody's heart attack or something. I don't know what, but something. <laughs>
Uh, hopefully it's not going to be any uh, putting Noah and or Kyle in danger. Later at Crimson Lights, Noah is there with Abby, and he's recounting everything that went down with this business pitch meeting, and she's just listening, listening uh, to him ranting and ranting when Kyle walks in, overhears the whole thing. Now, Abby is in a unique position because she's kind of related to both of them. <laughs> and she doesn't want to have this discord within her family. She loves them both. So she forces them to shake hands. It was kind of funny seeing her doing that. Um, and they begrudgingly shake hands. After Abby leaves, they have a moment alone together where they decide that they would like to combine their forces for good. They want to work together instead of against each other. Um, yeah, that'll last. Courtney confides in Summer that she and Noah slept together for the first time last week, and if Summer had a problem with it, she didn't let it show. She seemed like she was genuinely happy for her brother and her best friend, uh, feeling like, I'm glad for you, but just don't give me any of the details. He's still my brother. <laughs> uh, so... She was happy, and then Courtney gets up to go for a cup of coffee, and Summer looks at Courtney's phone, sees an incoming text from Zach, and confronts Courtney and says, what is this text from this Zach guy? He's seeming awfully comfortable with you. I thought you were involved exclusively with Noah. And Courtney, wise, big surprise, says it's about work, and then leaves the room real quick. But here's what I think. Okay, do you remember during the f first sex scene or whatever, the first lovemaking uh, between Noah and Courtney last week, when he was under the impression that she was a virgin, and she told him, no, I'm not a virgin, my first time was not special. She specifically said her first time was not special. I think that Zach is a drug pusher slash prostitute runner, and I think that he somehow got Courtney involved in all of this. She's probably helping him run the drugs, and I think that he put her into a prostitution situation. Because, okay, like... If you do you guys remember when we pretty much were just about headed down this road with Alex and Adriana? I mean, like, it's essentially the same exact story that they were wanting, that YNR was wanting to do with Adriana, Noah, and Alex, but then they didn't want to saddle sexy Alex with that whole mess. I mean, we remember Adriana talking about, yeah, my brother used to whore me out. He'd put me in a situation with one of his friends and then suggest that I sleep with them. And I just think that YNR really wanted to head down that road for some reason, and they couldn't do it with Adriana because of they wanted to keep uh, Alex around because he's sexy and way multi-purposed, and we don't want him to turn out to be a prostitution guy, a pimp, basically. But it's so much easier to make this Zack character off-screen, make him a bad guy, and like let this whole thing play out that way. I don't know why. I mean, it's obviously just a theory of mine, but I feel like for some reason, YNR wants to hook Noah up with a prostitute.
Devon and Mason have become buddies. I don't even think I even know when that happened. They're at the gym. They're now sparring partners. Hillary sees them together and is like, what's going on? She knows what Mason's number is. She knows he's working an angle with Devon and that it probably somehow includes dollar signs. She was his partner during the entire blogger debacle. She knows that he's interested in money, money, money. So after Mason leaves, Hillary tries to have a private moment with Devon to tell him everything. Hillary tells Devon that Mason is probably after your money and that he was my partner in everything that I did with Lillian Kane. And the weird thing was, like... Devon immediately kind of denied that Mason was trying to take any money from him. He's like, he's never asked me for a dime. There's no reason for me to think that Mason is after my money. But Devon totally ignored the part that Hillary said Mason was her partner in crime. If Hillary is bad for doing everything that she did to Lily and Kane and Neil and the whole Winners family, Mason is right up there, too. That puts them on equal grounds. I don't know why Devon didn't pay attention to that, or maybe he put it under his hat and he's going to address it later. I'm not sure, but while he's having this conversation with Hillary, Mason is in the gym on his cell phone running up charges on Devon's credit card, ordering whatever he wants. <laughs> Why have one when you could have two or three or four? He's basically running up this huge bill. I can't believe that Devon hasn't noticed. Um, I don't know. Maybe Mason should just buy a condo on the credit card like Roxy did and then ask Devon to move in with him since he's so obviously in love. Lily receives a clean bill of health from her doctor, and she calls, along with Kane, uh, calls her father to a little meeting at the athletic club to give him the good news. No more cancer. It's completely gone. She, in fact, really doesn't even have to continue to have checkups. It's completely gone into remission, which is so happy. I don't know how long ago that was. How long ago did Lily have cancer? Could it have been five years already? I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, but, okay, weird thing, the next day, Lily gets a call from her doctor after thinking she's totally in the clear, and I guess he wants to give her the results of her very last checkup and asks to see her uh, the next day. What's that all about? So either there's been some kind of uh, flare-up again of Lily's cancer, or she's pregnant. I think she's pregnant. She and Kane are looking for a happy little project to work on together. Maybe it'll be a daycare, nursery, something like that. I'm not sure, but I don't know. My instinct is telling me Lily is pregnant. I know that she had trouble getting pregnant, which is why they used Chelsea, Genoa City's baby incubator, um, to help them have their kid. Was it Chelsea? Am I losing my mind? I think it was Chelsea. Uh, but who knows? Lily's never actually been able to give birth. This could be the miracle they've been waiting for. So while they're, Kane and Lily and Neil are at the athletic club together, 
Kane takes a little break and Lily has a moment alone with Neil and Neil wants to share some of his own good news. He tells her that he is ready to take things to the next level with Leslie and he wants to ask her to move in with him. <laughs> well, but Lily is looking at him like, um, yeah, I don't know if Leslie's going to go for that. <laughs> But Neil thinks so. He thinks that she's ready. Uh, unfortunately, Leslie is at the coffee house having a conversation with Avery, telling her pretty much she's not sure she's ready to be Neil's little housewifey. So she's certainly having some reservations about taking their relationship to the next level, becoming a, a mother figure in Noah or in um, uh, Moses's life. So um, she's got a lot of reticence when it comes to this topic. Now, her brother, on the other hand, is pretty much ready to settle down. <laughs> Tyler is in love with Abby, and he wants the whole world to know it. Really weird thing happened this week. Tyler calls Lily to meet him where else but in the park, and he tells her that he wants to clear the air about everything that happened when he first came into town and his crush on Lily and all that. And Lily's surprised to be there, surprised he's bringing this back up, and probably even more so surprised when Tyler essentially thanks Lily for helping him move on <laughs> with Abby. It was weird. It was really weird. It was like he told her everything about Mariah and how much he's in love with Abby. And it was pretty much like Tyler saying, thanks, Lily, for being the rebound from my engagement to Mariah and helping me move on with Abby. It, it, to me, I think it would feel a little bit more insulting than complimentary. But I don't know. Uh, he tells her everything that's going on with with uh, his life, and then he's so sorry that he ever tried to come in between Lily and Kane. They're such a great couple. You're such a good couple. I'm sorry for ever trying to break you guys up. It was all just a little too perfect for me. It felt swept under the rug, that whole thing. I don't know. They even sealed the whole thing with a hug, which, of course, Abby walked in on. I don't know. I wonder if... <sighs> Abby's jealousy is going to be the the end of this relationship. If she's not jealous about Mariah, she's jealous about Lily. Abby said something like, how many women do I have to fend off just for you? I mean, I don't know if she was joking, but I think deep down, Abby feels insecure uh, being with Tyler, and that's not a very good basis for a relationship. I can't imagine that's going to help give them longevity. Um, although, I tell you, I think that relationship might be going down one way or the other. Patricia, again, speaking to me this week in her voicemail, has a really, really good theory that I never would have thought of. You guys are going to have to let me know what you think of this one. What if Mariah's not all about Tyler just because he's Mr. Hunky Man? What if Mariah is the mother of his child? Billy is struggling through his first Thanksgiving without his daughter. And I got a voicemail from Connor this week, and he was just expressing this 
hope, the sincere hope that Victoria doesn't end up getting cheated on by Billy because Victoria doesn't deserve that. But at the same time, it really feels like it's headed in that direction. Billy tells Victoria that he wants to go to a meeting, but without her. He says that he feels like he is more comfortable talking when Victoria isn't there. I just, I feel like, poor Victoria. She has no idea what's going on. She's taking it all at face value. Uh, You know, maybe he does feel like he can talk more, more comfortably about all of the things he's going through if I'm not there. And, but, you know, maybe it's partly true that that is how Billy feels, but there is more to it whether he realizes it or not. He is pulling away from Victoria, and he is leaning into someone else who happens to be Another woman who has gone through something really similar and that he's able to connect with in this moment. Um, I just can't help but feel like Billy goes on and on about how the meetings are too hokey for him, but he still goes back. Um, Maybe it has something to do with Kelly. (laughs) Maybe he doesn't feel like talking to her is too hokey because they end up going out for coffee together so it's not just going to a meeting it's finding someone else to talk to why can't it be your wife why that is my question um she's going through the same loss why can't it be chloe she's going through the same loss why are you looking outside of your family for help when there is plenty of help within your own circle that i would like to know But the fact is, he's going out for coffee with Kelly. He's talking to her. They're having actually a pretty deep conversation. Uh, She's trying to provide him some kind of comfort about how you can move on from this, how you can begin to get to a point where you accept what has happened, uh, that your child is gone. And things are actually getting really deep, kind of dark, when Chloe busts up in on their talk. And it, um, wow, it was a little bit surprising. Um, Chloe seemed to be really put off by Kelly. Like, immediately, she did not want to have anything to do with Kelly for some reason. I think Kelly said, like, two words to her, like, I'm sorry for your loss. And Chloe was immediately like, "Uh, yeah, okay, thanks, stranger. (laughs) Which was like, wow. Kelly realizes that she's not wanted. (laughs) She leaves. And I, my immediate thought is, and I don't think we've talked about this yet, I wonder if Kelly drives a black SUV. It's a good question. We all know Adam didn't do it. <laughs> so could who else could have done it? I don't think Nikki did it. So this is now all of a sudden a new person on the scene. I just wonder. I just wonder. Maybe she's talking. Who even knows if the story about her losing her son is correct? Maybe Kelly uh, has kind of done the same thing that Adam's doing. Maybe her behavior is really similar. Maybe she ran over Delia, killed her, felt really guilty, started stalking Billy online or following up to find, find new information about it, follows him to the support group and starts to forge this relationship with him. I don't know. I'm just saying, maybe Chloe's reaction toward Kelly was some kind of subconscious instinct toward the person who killed her daughter. I don't know. Again, I don't know that that's the truth. It's just sort of a theory that's dawning on me. 
It's entirely possible that Chloe just felt like this is a private loss. I don't want to talk about it with strangers, least of all you. She got a bad vibe off the situation no matter what. But Chloe is going through her own uh, process of first Thanksgiving holidays without her daughter. And it doesn't feel like she's able to really get, you know, it feels like Chloe has less support around her than Billy does. Uh, and, like, it was weird. There was this scene where Jill suggested to Chloe that maybe she might benefit from some kind of support group, group too. And Chloe acted completely disgusted, even by the implication that she would go talk about this with strangers. So, I don't know. It's weird. It is really weird. Um, Chloe is definitely, uh, I don't know. I think she's finding herself lonely. And I think that Kevin is the most comfortable person for her to lean on. I think that she wants Kevin. I think she wants Kevin around. But she also doesn't want the pressure of a commitment. She appreciates the closeness. She appreciates the intimacy. It sounds like he's kind of staying over with her. I'm sure they're not sleeping together, obviously. Uh, but he's there for her in a very supportive way. But she doesn't also want to give him the wrong impression that, like, this is going to lead anywhere because I'm not ready for that. But, um... I don't know. I think he's doing a good job, at least, of keeping her grounded. Uh, he did end up mentioning to her that maybe Jill was just trying to help. She did lose her granddaughter. So I do didn't want to forget to mention that I appreciate Kevin being there for Chloe during this. Um, the thing that it keeps striking me, especially seeing uh, this scene at the coffee house. After Kelly left, Billy and Chloe had a little bit of a moment together where they connected. And I realized that Billy and Chloe's relationship really has not been explored that much since Delia died. Billy and Chloe have not had that many scenes together. And it would make sense that since they're going through the same thing, maybe they could bond? Chloe doesn't seem to have as much rage toward Billy, as much blame toward Billy. That seems to have subsided. So why aren't... I just don't understand why they're not leaning on each other. They both knew Delia. They both loved Delia. It seemed like it would be a little bit natural that they could maybe bond together, but that's not quite uh, what's happening. Billy goes home and gets back on his computer when we hear uh, a, a ring of the doorbell, and it's Alex. Alex shows up at Billy's house and pretty much uh, tells him they've been monitoring that website that he's been on and that they've seen everything that Billy has posted, they've seen everything that Anonymous has posted, and Alex warns Billy to not get involved in this, to not make threats online. We know, like, we're watching you. I don't want to see you do something stupid. Of course, Alice doesn't know, oh, gosh, the Billy has a gun up in the closet. But, I mean, it's it's good advice. It ended up uh, being kind of a heartbreaking scene because Alex forces Billy to show what's on his computer, and it was actually the that video that he made just before Delia died. And I know that made Alex feel really, really terrible. But, uh, Alex, what happened to the big hunch 
that you had in the steam room after talking to Adam. Remember that scene? He has that scene in the steam room with Adam, and then he leaves that whole thing, saying, and, and then he goes back to the police uh, station and tells somebody, Kevin, maybe, that he he has some new hunch. I mean, the, uh, there is a, somewhere a stack of license plate numbers on Victor's desk that lead to Adam. Alex, all he has to do is put together that same information it leads to Adam. Why is YNR dropping the ball on this so much lately? Why do they do that? Why do they plant seeds and then wait weeks, sometimes even months, to pick them back up again? It really ticks me off. And I have to tell you guys, I have been watching Bold and the Beautiful. And one thing I really love about The Bold and the Beautiful is that it's concentrated. It picks, it's, it, it makes sense. It picks up the next day where it left off. It's linear. Not so much time passes between every single storyline. Like, I just, it bugs me. If, like, if YNR cannot pick up the pace here, then maybe the cast needs to be a little bit smaller. They just, they're skipping around so much that it makes me feel less interested in the stories. You need to focus on one. Build up one, two, three, maybe four storylines. Make those really the focus. And that will help me be emotionally engaged. I just am wondering if they've got too many damn irons in the fire. Does anybody else feel like that? Or is it just me? Gosh, Get it over with. <laughs> I know that you have to plant a seed and let it grow. But, I mean, we're viewers of a TV show. Like, we have shorter attention spans, right? I can't have you planting a seed uh, a month ago, never mention it, and then expect me to be all emotionally engaged when you pick it up again. I just... I'm sorry. <laughs> that was totally a tangent, but it does bother me. And the Alex thing is such a, a, a prime example of that. Okay, I'm going to center myself <laughs> and get back to the story. <laughs> After Alex leaves, Jack stops by to see Billy and he gives him uh, encouragement. Jack understands pain <clears throat> and loss all too well. So um, he tries to talk to Billy, tries to bring him back to reality, even says, you know, I understand that the feeling of clinging to the pain is the only connection that you have left to the person who is gone. If you stop feeling the pain, then maybe that person is gone or it's not as effective to you. So Jack really tried very hard to un you know, be empathetic toward what Billy was going through. Again, Jack would be a great person to lean on other than Kelly, um, Jack does give Billy the advice, <laughs> let love heal you, is exactly what he said, um, and it was just as Victoria was walking through the door. Victoria had been with Nikki, talking through the same situation. Um, Victoria feels afraid for her marriage, and not just for her marriage, but for her entire family. So she, you know, talked through this with Nikki. Nikki tried to give her encouragement. Um, Nick, you know, Victoria tried to give Nikki encouragement, as a matter of fact, uh, on her situation uh, in return. One question I have. Um, I, I'm sorry that I have to talk about Nikki's hair every single week, but <laughs> does she have hair extensions? I don't know why. I think probably because I don't have hair extensions and I don't, I've never put them on. I don't, 
I don't know how they go on or anything. So I never see them. My mom is always like, oh, those are hair extensions right there. Hair extensions, hair extensions. And I can never tell. Um, Nikki's hair looked really, really long this week. And maybe somebody who has a better uh, hair extension radar than me can tell me if those were hair extensions. Uh, because I, I'm sorry. I just could not help but notice that Nikki was giving me a very Stevie Nicks vibe all week. Like she had on this black lace sleeve top and chin she has this long blonde stringy hair <laughs> I just kept thinking oh my gosh all she needs is one of those sequin slouchy hats Adam and Chelsea are falling back into their old routines uh, the only difference is they're not together anymore. They're not married anymore. And it's clear that they're both not entirely comfortable with the level of intimacy they're sharing as a result of living together and uh, raising a child together. But they don't really want to leave the situation either. At any point, Adam could ask her to leave or she could decide to leave on her own. But they don't want to do that. Instead, they decide to address the awkwardness, and uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny. They decided to lay down some ground rules as if, you know, if Adam, if you want to have a lady into the apartment, just give me a day's notice and I'll be out. It's, it was funny. It was the equivalent of uh, being in college and just saying, if you have somebody that you want to hook up with, just hang a tie on the doorknob and I'll know not to come in. It was very that uh, Chelsea is actually getting back to work. Finally, I would love to see more of Chelsea and Chloe at work at their fashion business. Uh, Chelsea is at the athletic club talking on the phone to one of her buyers or something. She's talking about Milan. and I mean, how fabulous and interesting. That's the interesting part of Chelsea is her fashion career. Remember when she's supposed to be some genius fashion designer and we never, ever see it? That's the good stuff, and Weiner doesn't give that to us. Oh, no. They give us Victor hovering over her like a hawk. I mean, she's on the phone, and he's listening to her conversation. She could probably feel his breath on the back of her neck. <laughs> oh, he did not appreciate the idea that maybe she would be taking his grandson to Milan. Oh no, oh no. So he lets her know and there's this kind of interesting confrontation between Chelsea and Victor at the athletic club right there in public. Um, it's weird. Victor's the one who brought her to town, and yet we don't really see them interact that much, and it doesn't feel like that's acknowledged quite as much, so I was happy to see it. Um, I got a, 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 another great voicemail from Gary this week who made really an awesome, awesome point, which was that during the scene, Victor threatens to tell Connor in the future all about the circumstances that his mother came into town under. And Gary's point was, well, for Chelsea, that was a business deal. Victor paid her to come in and to get up in Billy's life, having you know been pregnant with his child. She wasn't hurting anyone that she knows. It wasn't affecting anyone that was in her life directly. Victor was the one who brought her into town to destroy his own daughter's marriage. So who's the guilty party here, really? Mm, good point, Gary. Very, very good 
point. Uh, Victor was extremely brutal toward Chelsea. Um, I, I don't know who got it worse from Victor within the last couple of weeks, Chelsea or Sharon. Uh, probably Sharon, I would say, maybe. I don't know. Chelsea gave pretty good back. Uh, she told Victor, you know, it, it seems like you want to boast about what a successful businessman you are. Uh, yeah, I'll be sure to tell my son when he gets old enough how you stepped on everyone to get where you are, including your own son. So that's not a source of pride, or it shouldn't be. But they're going at it, sparring back and forth, and Adam comes in, breaks the whole thing up. Thank goodness it got nasty. Um, <laughs> later, Adam goes to his, gosh, I guess pseudo-father, Jack, <laughs> the guy who is treating him uh, as a son the way his father should. Uh, so Adam is confiding in Jack, saying, obviously, he feels guilty. He feels um, like a scum and like he's irredeemable. And not only that, he feels like his situation with Chelsea is completely irreconcilable. And Jack ends up giving him a pep talk. Apparently, that was Jack's role this week, was given pep talks. And he told Adam, um, we, we can't change the past, but we can correct our mistakes. So maybe that's what you should do. And, and, and Jack really, uh, I think, put the seed in Adam's head, telling him, uh, encouraging him to find love in order to find redemption. Um, just let go of the past and start looking forward, which was, again, kind of a lot similar to what Jack had told Billy, let love guide you. <laughs> Jack is very, very wise. <laughs> I'm enjoying that. Um, well, I mean... Jack doesn't know that Adam supposedly killed his niece. I don't know if he would be quite so loving toward Adam if he knew that. I mean, it's, I'm sure that that's weighing on Adam's mind in that moment as well. Jack's been this really great friend to him, and, and he uh, made this mistake that resulted in him losing his niece and uh, destroying Jack's brother's life and all that, all that, all that. But Adam does take Jack's advice to heart later at home, Chelsea and Adam are just kind of hanging around, and they are sort of remarking about how they had it all and let it go, which is true. I mean, they had everything they wanted, love, family, and unfortunately, they let it slip through their fingers. And they're here just kind of wishing that they could go back in time, and they move in for a kiss. <laughs> Um, and it, it, it was um, not just kissing. No, it was uh, full on making out, really. Uh, first, they, 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 it was started out as just a kiss. And then there was this moment where they both pulled away. Like, are, are we sure we want to do this? And then they both come right back at it. Like, yes, unanimously, yes, we want to do this. I mean, he was unbuttoning her shirt and had her down on the couch. <laughs> uh, it definitely would have resulted in sex if Connor hadn't been crying in the background and they needed to go uh, check on him. Um, I think it definitely would have gone all the way. This is probably Adam's first boner in months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but if that's true, <laughs> everything that he's going through with Delia, um, I'm sure it's not, uh, it's probably um, suppressed some things. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> 
he's um Adam's been trying to get back together with her for a while. He really has. The whole time she was pregnant with Dylan, he was pursuing her, wishing that was him, wishing he was being Dylan. Uh, And uh, I I don't know. Like, I guess from her perspective, it's a little bit more puzzling. She spent so long feeling fearful of Adam and uh, convinced that she was in love with Dylan. Is the ink even dry on her divorce papers? (sighs) I don't know. I don't know. Um... (laughs) <laughs> to her, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Chloe ended up showing up and uh, Chelsea had to confess that things had just gotten kind of heated between her and Adam. And Chloe's perspective is like, are you crazy? You're crazy to get involved with him again. She's immediately anti-Adam, which puzzles me, too, because wouldn't Chelsea or I'm sorry, wouldn't Chloe want Chelsea to have a chance at like being together after everything that she's been through like shouldn't that have given Chloe some perspective and maybe you know shouldn't that make her be supportive of Chelsea's decisions I don't know to Chelsea's credit um she told Chloe to butt out (laughs) not about to take your bad advice again thank you um you guys what do you think about this Adam and Chelsea although they're agreeing to take things slow it's clear that they are headed back together and um what do you think about this I I had put a poll up on my website last week should uh, Chelsea and Adam be reunited and it was like 80% of you guys said yes reunite them (laughs) and I don't know I'm just still not sure I think um, I know you some I know everybody loves Chelsea. And I think it's less about me not liking Chelsea. I think I just don't like the actress. I'm sorry. I know again she has a lot of fans, but something about her just kind of rubs me wrong. Um and, and so I just I don't know. I'm just not loving it. I think Wyanor needs to get Adam out from under this cloud of Delia's death and maybe bring in a new woman for him. I just I need someone untainted to be with my Adam. Um, I Chelsea, I just, I don't like her lying to him for months and months and months. I don't know why he'd really want to get back together with her. I don't know why she'd want to get back together with him. It, it Their relationship just devolved so horribly. I feel like they both just need a fresh start. Let her be with Dylan. Or, I don't know, somebody else. Or, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Adam can be Connor's father. She can be Connor's mother without them being involved with one another. Mm, I don't know. You guys tell me how you feel. Adam and Chelsea, yes or no. <laughs> um, I Ch- Chelsea um, is with Chloe and realizes that she needs to, I think, go back to the office to get something. And so Chloe agrees to watch Connor. So Chelsea leaves Chloe and Connor alone together. And Chloe is having this moment where she's looking into this small child's eyes and she's seeing her own child, her own daughter. And it was very tender, very sweet, very sad for Chloe. A couple of scenes later, Chelsea shows back up at the apartment and Connor is gone. He's not in his crib. Chloe's not there. Chloe has taken Connor. And we don't know where she is. I think that Chloe has taken Connor to that crash site memorial where Adam has actually gone to talk to Delia. He's there apologizing again, explaining himself again. Uh, I think that maybe... 
in Chloe's mind, she's taking, this is just a theory, but I think uh, she's going to take the child to this crash site. This is real safe. Uh, I don't know. I could be totally wrong, but, you know, in some way to kind of connect him or introduce him in her mind to Delia, this person who saved uh, the child's sight. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, the, The possibility of that that I like is that Chloe could run into Adam while he's there and be like, what are you doing here? I don't know. Again, maybe, maybe not. Uh, the, the, the only thing that I 100% do know is that Connor's gone. Chelsea is freaking out. And I, I mean, I can't blame her. How many times is Connor going to go missing before his first birthday for crying out loud? After having been released from prison, Michael wakes up in his own bed for the first time. How wonderful. They had like this luxurious bed. I don't know if we've ever seen Michael in Lauren's bedroom before, but he's waking up into, oh, freedom, beautiful freedom, back to my cush condo. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Or that's how he should feel anyway. Um, It's kind of funny because... Patricia had mentioned in her voicemail to me, like, you know, Michael's got his life back. Hooray. He's got this wife with a sex tape out there and a drug addict son. Michael really does not have that much, I guess, to be thankful for. I mean, Patricia said, like, Michael should have divorced Lauren when she had the affair with Carmine and gotten with some young hottie and never looked back. (laughs) I'm like, you know, at this point, that idea doesn't sound too bad, to be honest with you. I mean... Michael's life is destroyed. Does he even have his law license? For being a felon? I mean, I don't know. Well, I guess maybe the charges were dropped. So maybe he does still have his law license. That's like the one thing he does have. But man, Michael Baldwin has gone down. Um, I'm ready to see him back on top. He's gone from like our hero. I loved Michael Baldwin, man. Like he was just on top of his game for most of the time I've been watching this show. And boy, he's in a really, really dark position. Um... He and Lauren go to the police station and they talk to Kevin first to see if he has any information about the Carmine Basco murder case. And Kevin says, you know, if I actually don't, they've been trying to keep me. I mean, Kevin's every major uh, case that the GCPD is working on is somehow involved with Kevin's family, if not Delia, then Michael. So Kevin says they've been keeping me out of the loop on this one. And and it's a good thing because if I did have any information for you, believe me, um, I would do everything I could to help you. If there was some evidence against anyone in our family, I would make it disappear. Uh, Kevin, although he he did mention that he doesn't want to do anything to mess up his relationship with Chloe now, which makes me feel like Kevin is going to be in a position to mess up his relationship with Chloe now. <laughs> um, shoot, for all I know, Kevin stole the crime scene photos. He's working there. He could do it. Um, yeah, it's a conflict of interest. Paul comes back to the station and he meets with Lauren and Michael and he, he's really being, I don't know, he's being pretty hard nosed about the job that he has to do. He promises Lauren and Michael that Carmine Basco's murderer is going to be found, whether it's something that turns out in your favor or not. And it does bother me that Lauren especially, but Michael too, they act like all of this is Paul's fault. Like, Lauren was very vicious toward him. Like, how could you do this to us? You're supposed to be our friend. Ah, 
I'm sorry, but has Paul been anything but the most supportive and amazing friend that they could ever ask for? I just don't see it that's the way that Lauren sees it at all. Paul has been nothing but patient with them and helpful toward them. And for her to be vicious toward him is just wrong. Michael, Michael wasn't of the same mind. He sort of sent Lauren out of the room and had a private conversation with Paul. And Michael actually did pull kind of a tricky move. He's asking Paul for information about the case. Paul doesn't want to give it to him, but he says, "Okay, well, I'm the main, you know, I was a suspect in this murder and I'm also a lawyer. So I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm representing myself. And that makes me entitled to the case information. So, Paul, really, I think he probably wouldn't have done it under any other circumstances if it were anybody else but Michael. But Paul decides to tell him everything, especially that, A, the crime scene photos are missing, and B, they have only evidence that, the only evidence they really have is that lipstick napkin of Lauren's that was found somewhere near the crime scene. Whatever. Whatever. It's so lame. Um... And I just, it's been so long ago, it's hard for me to remember and care. Um, The one bright spot that happened after Michael leaves Paul's office, Paul's kind of rooting around, looking at the evidence again, obviously upset that he can't get to the bottom of this. He picks up a folder, looks at it, does a double take, and says something out out loud like, who the hell is that? So, I don't know. Paul's looking at the crime, looking at some photo of some, or some, I don't know. It had to have been a photo. And and he notices someone else in the photo that he didn't see before? I don't know. It looked like he noticed, you know, a third gunman or something in the grassy knoll. (laughs) I wonder how many weeks it'll be before YNR follows up on that. (laughs) Really? Really. I mean, you know. We'll see a whole week next week of Baldwin's and no mention of that. Guaranteed. (laughs) Uh, Lauren is still getting the anonymous phone calls. She's had a couple of them. It's just like little seeds dropping down on there with no follow-up again. Um, Another unknown caller to her cell phone. I mean, she ends up telling Michael about that. Uh, She always picks it up and they always hang up. Uh, Carmen, we all do we all pretty much think that he's still alive at this point, right? I mean, he's pretty much still alive. <sighs> Fen is in jail. Mouse is in jail. <laughs> and all of the other criminals are starting to catch on about who Fen is. Another point that Gary had made uh, in a voicemail to me was that like Michael, it would make sense if Michael was in the penitentiary, penitentiary for the murder charge, but why is Fen in like federal prison <laughs> with murderers uh, for a drug charge? If he was just serving out a couple of like a month's sentence, shouldn't he be in county? I don't know. It's the danger situation has increased. All of the other criminals are saying, oh, you're the DA's son. He's the guy that sentenced me here. Oh, I'm going to get back at him one way or another. And we see this scene of like, it was so stupid. Fence standing there with a crowd of inmates around him, like 
closing in slowly, like like ten guys, ten big guys closing in slowly on little Finn standing there like a small boy. Obviously, there's no guards or anything noticing that this like he's about to get gang beat up or something. It's so like that whole thing was almost comical to me. Um, no, I take it back. It was definitely comical to me. I just. Uh, Fen standing there with all these guys and like, um, are you sure that they didn't just want to play Ring Around the Rosie, maybe? Or Duck Duck Goose or something? It's just so stupid. I mean, as soon as I saw these guys closing in, I immediately thought, well, obviously Womack is going to come in and break this whole thing up. It's so predictable. Womack comes in, even after Fen is pretty much blown him off and said, I don't want to have anything to do with whatever your drug charges are or whatever you're running drugs in jail. Is there any chance that he's Courtney's brother? Ooh, that's a good idea. No, he can't. Because his name's Zach Womack. <laughs> could he be Zach Womack? <laughs> it's a much older brother. Um, but Fen has basically told Womack he doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And then Womack comes in and saves the day, makes the bad guys go away, gives him a hand, helps him up, even though he's bloody. But then Womack tells him... You know, I just saved you. Now you're in my debt. Who knows if he even arranged all of that. Like, all of these guys just cower away as soon as Womack says to leave the kid alone. Leave the kid alone. I mean, he's no bigger than anyone else in the jail. He must just be some kind of powerful guy. I don't know. But all of the other inmates just cower away when Womack says, leave the kid alone. The kid stays in the picture. Uh, now Fen is in debt to Womack. He's going to have to repay this favor one way or another. Gee, if only Fen's jail time were limited somehow. Like, if only there were some light at the end of this tunnel. Uh, oh, wait, uh, there is. He'll be released next freaking week and he'll never have to hear the name Womack again. Okay, everybody. <laughs> Sorry for the extra long version. I was obviously on a tear. <laughs> I hope that you guys enjoyed it and that you feel free to leave me your comments. I love hearing from you, so don't be shy. Um, I think we well, we still got a full week, hopefully, of YNR next week. Um, I had gotten a voicemail also from Anna, and she uh, mentioned that there was a classic episode of YNR on, that aired on Thanksgiving that I didn't see because um, I don't watch the live broadcasts. Uh, so I don't, does any, did anybody see the, the Thanksgiving Day show? And if so, does anybody know what year that was? That was a question she was asking, and I'm not sure because I didn't see it. Um, but I'm going to have to try to find a way to watch a Christmas. If they're going to be running classic episodes, I'm going to try to watch on Christmas if I can. I, I probably wouldn't be able to, but maybe I could find a way to get a copy of that. I love classic YNR, because current YNR's got some issues. <laughs> Well, my podcast friends, you can leave me a voicemail if you'd like to call in and give me your thoughts on the week. Tell me everything you think is right, wrong, and indifferent about the show. My telephone number is area code 309-588-4569. That's within the U.S., so it's country code 1. Uh, you can also go to my website at yrchat.com if you want to vote in that poll, Kyle versus Noah, uh, if you want to leave me some comments 
comments there. Check out uh, a couple of the other games I've got that are always there every week. If you want to, um, if you just got some spare time, surf on over to yrchat.com and uh, check that out. Or you can always email me directly to Allie, A-L-I, at yrchat.com. It really is always a pleasure hearing from you guys. Um, I haven't seen any new iTunes reviews in a while, so if you are listening to this via iTunes, please feel free to go on to iTunes, leave a review. It does make a difference. It uh, helps other people who are looking for YR, YNR podcasts to find this one first and tune in. So um, please feel free to go leave an iTunes review. Um, it does help out. Um, gosh, I guess that's it. I hope everybody has a really good week, and I'll see you next Sunday. Bye!